Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the OPP. My name is Sean McCormick, and I'm your host. You can find me on Instagram at Real Sean McCormick or Optimal Performance Podcast. On today's show, we are joined by Dr. Robert Barrett and Professor Luis Hugo Francescuti, who are the authors of a book called Hardwired. The subtitle of the book is how our instincts to be healthy are making us sick. And this is a fascinating conversation with two experts in this field. And my mind was blown about, I don't know, 30, 40 times within this conversation because it takes a look at how some of the decisions that we make, how the uh, systems of healthcare, social media are actually screwing us. All of these sorts of old paradigms that are based on our evolutionary adaptations are working against our general health. Here are some high notes from the topics within this conversation. Um, Why are we lacking the ability to adapt? What are the constraints of evolutionary adaptation that we're experiencing in the modern day? Uh, We talk about this theme of caring, how, how important it is for genuine caring from an individual level level to help improve our lives and the lives of others. We talk about how we are blinded in our own manipulation, especially when it comes to our own health and health performance. We talk a lot about uh, the the modern healthcare paradigm. Um, uh, Dr. Frances Scuti is uh, was a leader in the Canadian Health Ministry, and um, he's he's still working in ERs and talks a lot about how uh, the uh, medical error is like the third leading cause for preventable death. And um, he's kind of whistleblowing on how our systems are not set up to help us anymore. Uh, and they're based in old paradigms on evolutionary adaptation that we've made over time that are really screwing us. Uh, we talk about uh, the cookie and the radish experiment. We, uh, we also talk about how we've evolved to fight and seek and search for things like food and sex and acceptance, and it's already available. It's all readily available to us, and how that's messing with us in our development. Um, really, really interesting conversation that I have with these two. This is um, a very meta concept in how we can um, uh, understand ourselves better, is how we can um, make some changes to our performance and our health. And this is really cool because this is directly along the lines of what I've been developing, which is the virtual biohacking assistant. You know, I've told you guys a couple of times in the recent uh, episodes, if you want to be involved in the in the pilot study for this amazing biohacking tool, which will give you uh, relevant information for you to hack the health areas that you are interested in. It will take out all the guesswork. It will crunch the numbers using this amazing AI platform to give you the information that you need for biohacking yourself because we do not want to go see the doctors. We do not want to go to the hospital. And in order to do that, in order to stay healthy and vibrant and look sexy and have lots of energy, um, this is the way to do it. So send me, if you want to take part in the pilot study, I could really use your help. Send me an email, sean at seanmccormick.com, and just say, I'm in. And then I will reply back and say, well, thank you very much. And then I'll add you to this pilot study. I really want your feedback. You know, those of you that listen to this episode, this this podcast every week, uh, I really want to hear your thoughts on this because I'm proud of it. And this could be very big, very important for people. So um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so stoked to bring to you today's episode with Dr. Robert Barrett and Luis Hugo Francis Guti from Hardwired. This episode of the OPP is brought to you by Blue Blocks. Harmful blue and green light from screens are destroying your sleep quality and stressing your central nervous system. When you wear Blue Blocks, you're effectively blocking out those harmful wavelengths of light and you feel more relaxed, more ready for bed, with fewer headaches. What a lot of people don't know is that Blue Blocks offers prescription frames as well as readers. Plus, they have a virtual try it on feature so that you can see if the frames look good on you before you commit. I went with the amber colored Sleep Plus Smith frames, which is like this classy Wayfair look. 
They have single-handedly improved my sleep unlike anything else. When I have long days in front of the computer screen, I wear the Crystal Summer Glow frames and they've completely stopped my computer headaches. Whenever I'm asked what my favorite biohacking tool is, I always say blue blocking glasses from Blue Blocks. Head to blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and use the code OPP for 15% off. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and use the code OPP for 15% off. I guess the question is like what... What drove you to write a book uh, about about how we make decisions? Just like really broadly, what was your motivation? Yeah, well, you know, we didn't have the answers right away, so we started off with the the questions, really. And so we have we live in an information age. We have access to you know all this great information. If you have the the internet, uh, you have access to you know some fifty thousand journal abstracts without even having to to pay for them. You have all this great information, and yet it seems that a lot of the metrics of our health, uh, and we see this particularly in the United States, are in decline. And you know what's going on here? Well, we have great information on how to be healthy and perform really well, and yet we may be not going in that direction or stalling out. Something is is happening. And so we have that we have to reconcile that that difference. And so we started looking at all the ways that that can play out in your life. So there's, you know, there's diet, there's exercise, there is, uh, there's uh, sleep, um, social relations and everything else. Uh, and started looking at some of the big picture stuff that's happening uh, quite recently. And uh, we came down to the idea that um, really you have to look at this issue from uh, a social medical. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Hey guys, sorry I had trouble signing in. <laughs> it's all good. Well, welcome to the party. We're just gonna we're um, we're just gonna keep keep rolling, and we're we're recording and boogieing, and and so we'll have you jump in, and I'll give you guys a chance to introduce yourself in just a second. But yeah, keep please continue. Okay, all right. Uh, so we're really looking at the at, at this disconnect between all this information that we have at our fingertips, and yet some of the the issues that are plaguing us that seem to be you know causing us to stall out or even go in the, you know a negative direction with with our health, and and really we we came up to the idea that that something is some that disconnect has to do with with something that's internal to us. Uh, we're not necessarily we're not adapting to the to the world around us. Uh, and so what is that lack of uh, adaptation? Mm. Why aren't we able to use all this information at our at our fingertips? and uh, and part of that lack of uh, adaptation comes down to what we come with, our evolutionary hardwiring that's built into us. We're you know we're animals, and we come with a long, and very uh, well honed history of evolutionary uh, progress, and and yet now we are in this world of plenty where everything's at our fingertips, and we're having a difficult time uh, managing that in an effective way. So then, from there, we dug into all the ways that that can actually happen as well. So the the the, the fact that even though we know or can access answers. And solutions to our to our health problems uh, that that we have <laughs> we've got the hardware that we're running still tells us to run away from saber toothed tigers and eat all the sugary uh, fruits and uh, you know have have as much sex with as many different women as possible. Is that, I mean, that's obviously not fair, but that's kind of that's kind of where this goes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll let uh, Louis talk about dopamine in a sec and how that <laughs> plays out in your brain. But uh, yeah, we have we have all these these amazing rewards uh, that are built into us, reward uh, drives that part of our hardwiring. And uh, yeah, absolutely, we look for sugary foods and and fatty foods and everything else. But but in a in a time before, we might have searched all day for the sugar that might have come in a carrot, and you know, and thought it was an amazing day that we found a you know a carrot with all that sugar in it. And now we have a slushy, a large slushy with thirty teaspoons of sugar in it, you know, and our kids have that. So and we don't necessarily know how to manage that or slow down. So now we're seeing all of the the health effects of that. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's quite, ch quite a challenge for us. And, uh, and so that's what the book gets into is, is all the various ways that the, the modern world is affecting us in a potentially negative way. And then we offer some solutions potentially to get out of it. Hmm. Awesome. Louis, let's, let's, let's talk about dopamine. Um, is when it, when it, 
again, I, at, the, at the risk of sort of oversimplifying or jumping to uh, you know chapter six or seven or to, you know to a, to a later explanation about what's driving this decision making. I mean, is is it, does it really boil down? Does it does it boil down to getting that dopamine hit? Yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, it gets uh, far more complicated while at the same time getting far more clear for me. You know, I watched a. You you may have seen the the recent documentary, The Social Dilemma, on Netflix, and uh, that really complements what we've been trying to say. Like like Rob said, you know, we're running on outdated software, but the people that have figured out our old software and are taking it to full advantage mm. are, you know, the uh, the Facebooks of the world, the Instagrams, the uh, TikToks, the, uh, you know, the people that have been able to sell us as a product to advertisers. And the way they figured that out is that one of the most powerful drives that we have as humans is social connection uh, to be accepted as part of the group. Because as Rob said, if we weren't accepted as part of a group, you know, millions of years ago, we wouldn't survive individually. And so what's happened, and I couldn't understand why the U.S. is so divided, but now it makes crystal clear sense to me. This is this is all orchestrated. This has not happened by chance. And as an emergency physician, you know, I've you know been struggling with why am I seeing so many young people in emergency with a rise in mental illness? Mm. And, uh, you know, the ones that I see that have attempted suicide, the ones that have completed suicide, I don't see because they go to the medical examiner. But um, our youth, and Rob's described this well, they're the canary in the coal mine. And, uh, you know, the, our youth is really suffering right now. So any parent out there who has any kids or grandkids, you got to watch that uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma. And then you've got to read our book and you've got to say, wait a second, we've got to put up the brakes on things here because things literally are out of control. And I think what COVID did, uh, you know, this pandemic has really shown us the difference between um, the segments of society that have been able to create their own patches and survive mm. and those that have not been able to create their own, you know, software fix or updates and survive. So th these are, uh, I would say, pretty troubling times. And we have to at least find the ability to have, you know, what's described as an agreed, uh, you know, uh, disagreement so that we can move forward and bridge that conversation between whether you call them the red or blues or the haves or the have-nots. But uh, I'm even more concerned than before we wrote the book when you actually start looking at how um, people are being manipulated uh, for the advantage of uh, financial gain. And unfortunately, that model's in play and it's not going to change. A lot of people have made a lot of money on this model and they're going to continue to do it at our expense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got, you've, you've come to the right place then guys, you, <laughs> because, uh, this is something that, that, that I talk about repeatedly and I bring up repeatedly is to, is to ask these questions and have these conversations and, and, and not just, uh, go along with what we're told. I want to go back to one thing that you said about, you know, people creating their own software update. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit more? Uh, is that, are, are you talking specifically, about people um, coming up with unique coping mechanisms and strategies? Is that kind of what you what you meant? Yeah, let me give you a good patch. So um, a lot of people are not very happy today, right? That's just the reality. And so they're looking for all sorts of things to make them happy. So a simple patch for happiness would be discovering that volunteering improves your happiness by 40%. Right. So if you're not happy, you know, you've tried all sorts of antidepressants and everything else and you're still not happy and you've tried to get more money and you're still not happy and you've tried, you know, getting bigger boobs, tighter bum, hair transplants and Louis Vuitton and all the other things that you think were going to make you happy and you're still not happy. Well, listen to the doc, you know, maybe try volunteering mm -hmm. and that unleashes something magical in you that will actually make you feel happy or biophilia. Go walk in the woods, you know, go amongst nature. That'll make you feel happy. Get a blast of sunshine on a regular basis. That'll make you feel happy. What about the concept of getting a good night's sleep? Doesn't cost you much. That'll make you happy. You see what I'm talking about? So yeah. those are patches. Those are patches that uh, easy for me to say, hard for a single mom in inner uh, Chicago that's got three kids and four part-time jobs to make them, you know, try and survive. So a little more difficult for her if she if she had the time to listen to this podcast, right? Mm, yeah. So the people so the people that are listening to your podcast 
have already figured out the patches because they're listening to your podcast. You know, the majority of the people that haven't are the same people that uh, COVID is visiting and that Katrina visited when she came through town mm. or that heat waves visit when, you know, heat waves come through town. So, but you know what, as Rob and I have always said, after the plague came the Renaissance. So this is a good time for us to sort of buckle down and say, hey, wait a minute. Okay, this this is about as bad as it gets. Let's really put our thinking caps on and come out of this feeling a lot more um, energized to make a difference at the end of the day. And, and yeah. it all boils down to one word, caring. Start caring for yourself and start caring for others. It's not more complicated than that. Hmm. A couple, man, there's so much there. Uh, I, I love that, that sort of optimistic view of this, right? Is that, you know, we're, we're going through this hard time. And then there's a thing after that, whatever that thing is, we, we know that we can bounce back. We've seen that we can bounce back as a civilization, as a global community and create beautiful things and um, find new ways of expression and innovation. So I, I, I really anchor to that <laughs> and, and, I, and I invite everyone listening right now to also anchor to that, to understand that the, that the paradigm that we're in now is not going to be here forever. It will shift. It will change. Things will, things will, things will move into something else. It's, it's inevitable. Change is the one thing that we can anticipate and having that, that view that, that there's, that there's something, that there's something else coming down the pike, I think is uh, something really meaningful. You know, I, one of the, it was uh, positive psychology has this acronym. Um, it's about, it's, it's hope, optimism, uh, resiliency, uh, and, um, efficacy. It's like, it's an ac acronym for like, what, what, what do we do? Well, I got, we're, we're, we're all just sort of hanging on what, what, what are some tools and what it sounds like the book does, uh, is it, it actually provides us with some context and some tools, um, for this really strange time that we're in. Um, let me ask, let me ask this, you know, we talked about the patches, right? Um, and you also talked about caring from a uh, from a sort of evolutionary adaptation standpoint. Thinking about how our brains developed in this way to 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 care, right? When I think when we're thinking back generations and generations and generations about how the hardware that we're running on, how how does how does caring um, tie into that that framework that allows that allows our ancestors. To continue to move forward and stay alive and and and, uh, and and keep the seed going forward, how how does caring tie into that in this current current day now? Uh, well, I'll talk about that one a bit. Um, so we talk about caring. We're talking really about that having that that quality of empathy where you are are you know selfish selfishly looking out for other people, trying to help them out. Um, but evolution also tells a different story as well. That we are because we're social creatures. There is a hardwired need for us to be accepted into groups. Uh, the worst thing that could happen to our our you know ancestors would have been that they would have been kicked out of a out of a social group and been ostracized. So we also have to uh, try to up our stock, our social stock in the group, so to speak. That we have to try to constantly evaluate whether or not we're useful to the group or whether we're not useful to the group. Uh, so. Uh, there's been great debates that have happened, um, you know, in in social science, whether we are, in, you know, humans are inherently good or whether humans are inherently evil. And 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 this gets into a little bit of that as well, because is it caring or is it uh, more of a, uh, a a need for us to ensure that we're not going to be kicked out of the out of the group as well? So I think what Louis is is talking about is true blue caring. That's when you're, you know, you're, it, you are really looking out for others. Um, you know, you're, they're benefiting from, from your giving your time. Uh, but we also talk about the book about this other side of us as well. And, and that really plays out in the social media world. Uh, the social media is like our need for social uh, value on, on steroids. And so we are constantly trying to do things on social media, improve our little avatars so that we get the likes uh, from others that feed our brain in a positive way, but also uh, make sure that we are feeling, you know, that we're part of a group. Uh, and there's a problem with that, though, in terms of the, the happiness spectrum, because 
if you're at the top of the of the group, the, the top of the food chain, like being on the top rung of a ladder, well, that's a great place to be. You're you are very high value to the group. But if you're anywhere else on that ladder, you are inherently somewhat dissatisfied because you're not at the top of the ladder as well. So we see that play out a lot in what we call in social science as social comparison theory. And that is a huge factor in social media. We're always comparing ourselves to others. And I think we all we all kind of feel that, you know, when you see someone else doing really well, if you're a great friend of that person, well, you're going to feel good for them. You know, if it's a family member, you're going to feel honestly good for them. But in other cases, we and we know this darn well, that that some people feel a little bit like, why isn't it me that's that's in that in that position? And so you feel because of their post. Um, on social media, you feel perhaps a, a little bit less happy. Um, you shouldn't. We have to, as Louis says, we have to develop patches to get around this new reality that we live in. But this is this is something that that is is a problem that that social media makes people you know a little bit less happy. Um, there's greater depression. There's loneliness. Louis will talk about loneliness um, and and its effect on you uh, physiologically. Uh, but but that's a little bit different than the than the uh, the, the caring that uh, that Louis was talking about as well and uh, how that plays out. But this is this is something I just thought it was important to mention because we do get into that that social aspect in the and how important it is. And we also know that even studying some of the the areas of the world where there was the 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 highest uh, or greatest longevity in lifespans, like in the the blue zones, that. Uh, we, you know, these are the most studied populations in the world. They looked at diet, they looked at exercise, they looked at all sorts of things to figure out what's going on here. And a lot of it has to do with the way the social community comes together and the social cohesion there. And I think we all instinctively understand that at some level, that if, if, if friends and family have your back and you know that they're going to be there for you in tough times, you 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 feel good about it. Like you you feel somewhat comforted in in this life, and if you feel like you're on your own and you don't have those that support network, well, I think that's a little bit distressing, and it adds stress to your world as well, and and that feeling of isolation. So that's uh, it, it goes both ways. But these are the areas of the world where they live the longest, and they and that was one of the major contributing factors to that was that strong social network that played into that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I'm also str- I'm struck. I'm struck by the sort of um, dichotomy between, you know, social media has this this sort of facade of togetherness, community, online community support. You know, you could type in there's a group for everything. You know, fans of uh, fans of bearded dragon lizards. You know, you could find a Facebook group for that, and like find your people. And at the same time. Um, you probably don't know your neighbors and you may not be spending quality time with the people that are actually closest to you. And so there's this, there's this sort of facade around what social media is actually doing and, and the really important relationships that, uh, that actually feed your soul and make you feel good and make you feel loved. And, and, and you can see other people's faces without a mask over them. Um, you make that more, make that sort of important connection. Um, which also ties into loneliness, right? It's like I, I'm, I'm seeing all of these people, and and I and I'm on all parts of all of these different groups, and I've got you know ten thousand followers on Twitter, yet I'm so lonely. Like, Louis, can you speak to a, a little bit about that? That sort of <laughs> that division between what social the the sort of the the ambition of social media, what it should do, versus that that reality that so many people feel so lonely. Yeah, well, first of all, as Rob said, you've got to understand the full impact of loneliness. I mean, loneliness is worse for your health than smoking. So we know that smoking is bad for your health, but now we know that loneliness is even worse for your health. And that's why in the UK and the United Kingdom, they have a minister of loneliness. Mm -hmm. Uh, We understand the importance of happiness. That's why the United Arab Emirates has, you know, a minister of happiness. And so the thing is, you've got to work hard at making relationships. And uh, social media make, makes it too easy to, you know, get into a relationship. A couple of clicks here, a couple of clicks there, and you're supposed to be friends. Well, that's not how friendships develop. You know, friendships are a commitment of time, effort, energy, and uh, they're hard to do in the best of times. And as Ralph said, if you create a persona of yourself um, that you aren't 
then sooner or later, the reality hits that you're not who you're pretending to be. Mm. And that's where young people, you know, in their most formative early stages, um, social acceptance is uh, everything. And if, and if they can't get it, um, life's not worth living. And if you take a look at the suicide rates and the self-harm rates, especially in young women, they're skyrocketing. They're skyrocketing through the roof. And uh, if that isn't cause for us to start understanding um, the impact of loneliness, then, you know, I don't know what more it's going to take for us as a society to say, well, wait a second, let's let's re-engage in the basics, um, you know, and look at, you know, the Rosetto effect and these uh, blue zones around the world that have shown us that uh, you don't have to have much, but you do have to have social connections. And the social connections that make all the difference is people that, and I hate to make it sound so simple, but people that actually care, first of all, for themselves. If you don't care for yourself, who the hell is going to care for you, right? So you got to care for yourself. Uh, you got to stop being a schmuck. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really concerned about schmucks moving forward because nobody's going to want to be with schmucks. You know, they, they, they uh, put out the negative vibe. And pretty soon we're going to have to, you know, focus on how to help the schmucks of the world. But, you know, nobody wants to be a schmuck and nobody wants to hang around a schmuck. Yet schmucks need help as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, the <laughs> there are a lot of schmucks out there. <laughs> it's easier and easier to, to be a schmuck, especially if you're doing it honestly online and you don't have to like, you don't have to face face the social consequences of saying something totally shitty you know, from a, from a blank, uh, from a blank avatar on YouTube or Twitter or something like that, you know, that's like, yeah, but, but you know what the thing is, it's easy to send out. But like you said, if you're a young person on the receiving end of it, oh yeah, imagine the impact that has, like, I, I mean, I do a lot of, uh, you know, media stuff. And so I, I get my share of stuff and I'm pretty thick skinned, but it still, it still hurts me too. You know, like being compared to uh, a safety Nazi or, you know, uh, we know where you live and all this stuff. I mean, you, you pretend it doesn't hurt you, but I mean, it does hurt you. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you could get, you know, reviews on, on this very podcast, you know, I'll read a hundred five stars and it's that one two star yeah. that you, that's the one that really gets you and keeps yeah. you up at night. It's, uh, you know, and I, 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 there's some evolutionary explanation for that, right? There's, there's, yeah. it, it's, 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 the, it's probably the need to be accepted, right? It's the need to yeah. have that, that community, right, Rob? Yeah, Especially absolutely. It mother. is. Yeah, it's absolutely. And, and Louis, Louis pointed out as well, uh, I think it's really important that the, this, the, the youth, uh, the adolescents, the emerging adults are, which are, you know, obviously, the probably the most heavy social media users are the ones that are most affected by the need for peer acceptance, and then you're, and they, they, they also have uh, much higher risk levels as well in this age. And there's maybe an evolutionary explanation for that as well. That uh, you know, perhaps uh, you know, we are evolved to leave our village and have high risk adventures to go find a mate in the next village over, which is you know a risky adventure to do. But when they actually looked at some of the brains of adolescents and, and emerging adults, and we have all this technology now to do this, all this imaging, it's all very fancy stuff to be able to do that. Uh, they found that it was actually that the reward, the, the parts of the brain that were oriented towards peer acceptance uh, were the ones that were driving the decisions at the time. So you have all this need for peer acceptance, and then you lay social media on top of that, and, and now you have the perfect storm. Uh, and, and the perfect storm doesn't always bring out the best in us as well. So this, you know, we, we are trying to, you know, we have, we have cases where, where young people are putting stuff online that, uh, that are, it's, it's totally without thought, like in terms of, you know, um, you know, sexual things and, you know, political statements and everything else that, that in some cases they've actually have to go in back and change their identity later on in life. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you know, when, when a prospective employer Googles them, um, they see this stuff come up. So, uh, we make, we don't necessarily make great choices around social media either. And, and, the, you know, the book isn't just on social media, but it, the idea that, that, that is one of the largest, uh, uh, you know, things that have changed in the last, uh, you know, 10, 20 years is, you know, is, is monumental. And that has a, has a great effect on us as well. And as Louis mentioned, 
you know, one of the things that the ironic part of social media is that we don't, uh, you know, the social aspect isn't always there. I mean, you're, you're, you're typing away, trying to connect with people, but, but uh, it, it actually often goes in the opposite direction where you are, you know, becoming more depressed, more lonely, more isolated. Uh, some of the research coming out of the college and university age uh, folks suggests that the anxiety levels and the, the feeling of being overwhelmed in life are exceeding 50% of the student population now. And as Louis mentioned too, the, the rates of suicide, I mean, this is the sharp end of the problem, but the rates of suicide are, are unbelievable, um, including those who, are, who uh, have attempted suicide and those who have suicidal ideation, they've thought about suicide. You're starting to get up into the, in some cases, I think in the book we said 13% of the entire, entire student body every year thinks about suicide. Some of the new research, um, even this year, is now coming up with almost 20%, 18-20% of the student body considers, seriously mm. considers suicide every year. I mean, that's the sharp end. Think about the blunt end, how many students are walking around feeling lonely, feeling depressed, and yet having all these friends on social media that they connect with every single day. Uh, so there's a disconnect there as well. And and the book really looks at, okay, you know, what's going on uh, behind the curtains on the stage here? What What is happening? And it, a lot of it is has to do with our evolutionary hardwiring and the fact that we were sim simply evolved for a different time. As Louis mentions, uh, the, the software update that is needed is, is not there. And if we're evolved for a different time, uh, we were involved to, you know, hunt for things that were in scarcity. And now everything is right at our fingertips. Uh, so it's food and, you know, it's food, sex or, you know, you know what have you. It's, it's social media, our devices in our hands. All of these things are feeding our brain and it's, it's becoming overloaded. And we are getting stuck in a fight or flight type response. And that also creates, you know, a lot of cortisol and stress in our bodies and we're stuck in that that uh, that state, and uh, that's having a negative effect on our on our health, our actual health. So, uh, as Louis was mentioning, you've got to, you know real health outcomes in terms of the of your you know heart and cancer and everything else that that are affected by that. That's causing us real harm. Sean, yeah. you, let me try and simplify it. So, uh, it, it, I, I really, uh, I mean, I don't have stocks in the social dilemma, but I'm going to keep pushing it because they so clearly delineate that uh, on the other side of the screen is artificial intelligence and billions of dollars in programs that are trying to uh, make you feel like you have to spend more time on these devices so that they can sell more ad time. And so the more time you're spending on these devices, that's less time you have to stop and think about what's going on in the world. So you're coming with your primitive brain and you're interfacing. And on the other side, is computing power that we've never seen before and that every day is just becoming more powerful. And you're trying to then figure out why is the world falling apart? I mean, why can't we focus on a global warming? Why are all governments pretty well around the world going through this populist movement? And why are societies divided into two? And the reason is, it's not a coincidence. Somebody's making millions of dollars on this. And the trouble is people are so busy, you know, uh, trying to make ends meet that they don't have time to stop and figure out what's going on. And that's why, you know, the book's just sold out in Canada because people are reading it and resonating and saying, oh my gosh, this is worse than we actually thought it was. Yeah, yeah. Do you, th if, if there were a software update, as my little simple brain tries to think about what that might look like. Um, is that, is that software update? <laughs> bear with me here. Uh, is that look like, you know, transhumanist AI? Um, uh, you know, is that Neuralink? Is a, is a software update, um, um, elevated spiritual, um, prowess, um, consciousness enhancement through psychedelics, is it, um, you know, a sort of Rudolf Steiner, um, you know, mystical um, way of connecting with the planet and, and touching in with nature to, to be able to to get an upgrade that way, which would kind of, you know, which is also kind of going going more primal. 
I just I just sort of think about what that might look like, and you guys are the experts. What 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 might that look like? Well, I'll I'll start off with that, and then Louis can uh, can finish up. Um, but you know, we talked about Louis talked about patches, and uh, you know, another way to think about that is our hacks. We talk about biohacks. So we we talk about biohacks in the book as well, um, and some of the the links to those and where they came from, and 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 uh, and some of the effects of those. But really, the the idea that we get across in the book is, in terms of a a software update, is first of all understanding understanding and, and awareness. Uh, we can't really solve problems unless we understand where we are and what's going on. So, you know, whether or not you're trying to lose weight or trying to exercise more or whether you're trying to sleep more or you're wondering why your social media is making you feel crappy, uh, you know, all of these things are are playing out and we have to understand why that is happening. So that's what we get into the into in the book is the first of all is the understanding and, and awareness of how your brain and body are working and why they're doing that and why you're doing the things you're doing. So that's the first, you know, kind of software update is, is really is really doing that. Uh, and then I think from there, it is really just the idea that how do we manage all of the, 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 the plenty that is around us? And we talk a little bit about um, the idea of resilience. And I know you mentioned the word resilience, and I think that has a lot of value. Uh, and then, but we talk also a little bit about the limitations of resilience. So resilience is the idea that you can, you know, you can absorb something and bounce back from it and, uh, you know, you're okay from it. But a lot of people are trying to push, push, push against their hardwiring, and it's not making them feel any better. Uh, in fact, they feel depleted, exhausted, uh, still high stress, um, and maybe they just go back to the, the negative habits that they had before, and it's a cycle that perpetuates. So how do you get out of that? Well, one of the things that we talk about in the book is the, is the idea that um, willpower that is essentially being able to resist something is a finite resource and it's like gas in your car. Mm -hmm. So you can use it up and uh, when you use it up, uh, then you, you know, you run out and uh, you fall back into the pattern again. So you have to figure out how do I refill the, the willpower in, in my, in my gas tank, so to speak. And one of the things is feeding that same hardwiring, but in a positive way. So that's that hardwiring that is, that is, looking for reward, whether that's sugar, fat, salt, sex, whatever it is, uh, or social media on your phone, uh, whatever it is that's searching for that reward, feed it in a more positive way. And then that frees up your willpower. So there's a couple of great examples of that. One we use in the book is the, the famous cookie and radish experiment. So that's where a group of, of individuals, half of them got a, a, these amazing cookies that came right out of the oven and half of them got radishes. And uh, then they then they did a, this big math experiment, math test, and the ones that had the radishes did a lot poorer on the test, and they didn't last as long. And the ones that had the cookies actually did better and lasted longer. So the conclusion that they drew from that, amongst other you know pieces of literature, was that uh, by having the cookie, they rewarded their brain, feeding the replenishing some of that willpower to then uh, help them sustain through the the long and hard math experiment or math test. So giving ourselves these small tactical rewards or strategic uh, rewards, if you want to call it that, is is really important. Athletes do this really well uh, in their in high performance athletics. They they have to sustain unbelievable levels of effort, uh, whether they are competing or training. And then they give themselves, you know, this downtime where they can just feed their brains and bodies and, you know, in other ways, you know, obviously probably not very negative ways, but still, you know, whether it's, you know, eating a favorite snack, watching a corny movie, doing a hobby like photography or something else that is totally different or hanging out with family. It's it's just feeding your body and your brain in a, in a, in a different positive way that replenishes that gas tank as well. So, so these are little things that we talk about. And then, you know, there's other stuff that with respect to sleep and, uh, you know, what time you wake up in the morning, especially your children, how to manage your children's screen, screen time. All of these are, are little hacks or patches that we talk mm -hmm. about as well. And, uh, and I think it's a package deal for the software update, but all of these things come into play as well. We, we, took, we went through the book, we went through all the different areas that we felt, felt were the, the, the biggest uh, areas that people were affected by every single day. And so each chapter kind of looks at that as well. Mm, very cool. 
Yeah, I, I, I think the takeaway for me there for people listening is, you know, if, if you're everybody's, everybody's day to day is, is screwy now, right? Um, we're spending more time at home. We're spending more time with, with our partners and with our families. And we're having to ask these questions about, (laughs) do we, do we like our homes? Do we like our families? Are we connected with them? You know, we're confronted by, by the life that we, that we've created for ourselves. And that in and of itself, that introspection can eat up a lot of brain power that can, can use up a lot of, a lot of your, uh, your, your will and your ability day to day in and day out. I really do like the idea of giving yourself a small reward as if you were a pro athlete, uh, are you giving yourself time to do something that nourishes you? That's something that's a little bit out of the norm. You know, are you making time for yourself? You know, uh, I did an episode recently with uh, John Gray, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And I said, hey, you know, me, Sean, I'm here with my family 24-7, a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, a nine-week-old puppy, my beautiful wife, like six chickens. I'm I'm losing it. What do I got to do? And he's like, you have to leave. (laughs) He goes, you have to get out of the house. Like you have to get out of the house to boost up your testosterone. You have to get out of the house to be able to uh, have some time, some space. And so I really think that it's important just to echo what you said, that we that we find little things, play the guitar, play the piano, write your journal, paint a picture, do little things that things that you don't normally do that can really nourish you going forward. Um, you know, with that, Louis, uh, yeah, what's what's the software update um, for you? Well, I, I think the um, I think the thing that I'd like to, I, I like leaving listeners with some ideas as to what they can do, and uh, one of the most important things we do is uh, talk to each other. You know, we're storytellers, and uh, when we tell each other stories, sixty percent of our brain lights up. And that's I learned this when I was doing research on uh, the dangers of cell phone use and driving. And it had nothing to do with hands held or hands free. It had everything to do with the conversation. Mm. We survived for millions of years by sharing information with each other. So people should use the power of storytelling. Um, All I have to do to put people in a really good place right now is to turn up the heat a bit, have some quiet music, and start with a few words that, uh, that start like, you know, once upon a time. All I have to do is say once upon a time, and for a lot of us, if we had a good child upbringing with no adverse childhood events, that takes us to a happy place. And then I would tell the story. I'd say, you know, there's baby boomers out there. And uh, the good thing about baby boomers is they're about to die. And so the reality is they want to do something meaningful with their life. They want to leave a legacy. And so baby boomers have got time, experience, uh, usually, you know, a little bit of money and uh, social connections. So I'd like to get baby boomers to start telling the story that we've mm. been having today and, and, and tell the story very simply, like three risk factors, smoking, inactivity, poor nutrition, contribute to four major diseases, certain cancers, diabetes, cardiovascular illness, and respiratory illness like COPD or emphysema. And that accounts for 50% of the disease burden, five zero. And if you take a look at the states, we know that 35% of all dollars spent in healthcare are totally wasted. And that's about $660 billion a year. So if we could take that money and direct it towards, for example, the 5% of the population that always makes up 65% of all healthcare spending, and get back to the basics, Maslow's hierarchy. You know, when I see patients in emergency, the first thing I ask them is, you got a place to sleep tonight. And if mm-hmm. they say no, I know that I'm not going to help them by admitting them into medical school as a student. I've got to get, you know, food in their belly. I got to get them washed, get them some clothes, and then try and find out why they're homeless. And you only have to ask a couple of questions to see that what's missing in their lives are the social determinants of health. You know, access to education, being a wanted child, not having any early adverse child uh, events. If you're a pregnant female, not being stressed out so that the stress on your pregnancy will actually change the genetic makeup of that fetus in you. And then, you know, the housing and the social and the employment and the nutrition and the list goes on. Um, That's what makes people healthy. And that's the patch that's really required. In the meantime, we have to start advocating for patches for people that don't even know there's a problem, right? I'm, I'm more concerned. I'm not, tell you the truth, I'm not too, too concerned about baby boomers that are retiring, trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life. I'm more concerned with the people that are in the trenches, barely surviving, 
and uh, having to look over their shoulder to see if, uh, if it's either COVID or some other social stress that's going to come and impact on them. And that's why all these changes we're seeing with Black Lives Matter, with, you know, uh, the disenfranchised, you know, rising up and raising their voices. Um, these are times, as we said earlier, Sean, of great opportunity. But we need to have people telling the story. And I believe that baby boomers, if they coalesce, and even if they do it selfishly by volunteering so that they could start feeling better themselves, so be it. But at the end of the day, society would greatly benefit from a cohort that's never had it so good. I'm a baby boomer, and I'll be the first to admit, you know, we've, we've had a pretty good ride. But it's time that we re-engage and do what we did in the 60s, but on a grander scale, because mm. we now have the skill sets to be able to do it. What did we do in the 60s? I mean, we basically walked on the street with a placard, and we were able to affect change. But with what we have right now, let's hijack social media to our advantage and really make a difference. And you know what? When you go to bed at night, you feel a lot better. I love that. I that that's that's a new idea for me. I've not I've not heard the rally cry for the boomer generation to 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 find find their voice again, find the purpose, find the mission again. I think that's really that's really beautiful. You know, I uh, obviously, you know, my folks are boomers and 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 they have so much to share. Um and, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, the boomers had it so well. They, uh, I, they raised you know fiercely independent Gen X, Gen Y, and millennials. You know, like sort of the sort of the oldest millennial. And me and my cohorts, uh, in 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 my group, you know, tend to feel like we know have all the answers <laughs> because we were so we were so empowered by uh, by the boomer generation that was that was home and that was thoughtful and. Uh, interesting. That's that, that, that's a new, that's a new concept for me. And, um, I really like that a lot. Um, what, what other sorts of hardwired operational brain activities are, are happening in right now that, that, that are, that are really working against us currently within this, uh, this, this COVID global mess? Like, well, I, I think that, uh, I won't, uh, speak too much about the hospitals uh let louis uh, do that because he's uh in the trenches in the hospital as an er physician every single day but but one of the areas that we did look at in terms of the the theme of of performance and it certainly does play out in in covid times as well is we looked at, at comparing uh what happens in in healthcare uh, with uh, some things that we've seen in other high performance uh industries like aviation for example and how some of these these teams uh work and one of the things that we saw in healthcare was a really unacceptable rate of uh, preventable errors in hospitals. And we underscore that word preventable because these are the types of errors that that uh, could have been, you know, stopped potentially, uh, but but weren't and, you know, led to someone's uh, harm or, or worse, their death. So in the United States, there's some uh, research that indicates that the the rate of preventable errors in hospitals is so great that it uh, could be looked at as the third leading cause of death in the United States, which is unbelievable. And per capita, Canada is is even worse. We used uh, the number, I think it was 23,000 preventable uh, deaths per year in Canada. Uh, research this year indicates that it could be now about 28,000 preventable deaths. So why, what is happening here to you, to answer your question and to wrap it up into performance, uh, it's really comes down to the social communication element in with these teams in, in hospital environments. And that has, does have to do with our hardwiring. So that is part of our hardwiring that is affecting us is that there is a social hierarchy within, within these teams that is, uh, inhibiting uh, the types of decision making and leadership and psychological safety to be able to speak up. Uh, these these types of sort of soft skills are are actually uh, causing a lot of deaths. Mm -hmm. And other high reliability organizations, uh, which is a term we use in the safety world, such as aviation, have had to deal with this and figure out ways around this and create their own so-called patches for their hardwiring. And, and part of that is we've, we've seen that with uh, crew resource management, how they do that in aviation. 
But what they found was that uh, about 70% of all uh, close calls, incidents, accidents in aviation were, to, were had to do with the social dynamics of the crew, not the technical side of things, the social. And that's the problem that we're seeing in healthcare as well in that in that setting. And unfortunately, people are getting harmed because of it. And and that does have to do with the hardwiring that we come with, uh, all that you know, gray area social dynamics that cause people to uh, second guess themselves if they see something that might be going wrong. Just think about it. If you are in a group and you're not the most senior person like Louis is in the group, uh, and you have to speak up because you think that something might be going wrong. Well, if you speak up and you're wrong about it, um, your social stock goes down in that group. And now the group kind of looks at you like, oh, well, next time you raise a concern, we're not really going to give you the same time of day that we just gave you now because obviously you're wrong. Now, if you're low on the totem pole and you speak up and, 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 the, and you're right, well, now your stock goes up. So we have this kind of really interesting social dynamic that plays out inside of groups as well. So that, that causes, uh, it can either help or hinder, uh, but you have to create an environment that recognizes that you are, you come with this evolutionary hardwiring within a group. And then how do you deal with that? Hmm. So the, the high reliability organizations have been able to figure out ways to create a more open communication, welcoming environment so that, that, uh, the senior leader of the group um, receives all the information they have to make a better decision. And that's really the, the entire premise there. But that's another example of how our hardwiring plays into our world every single day. And it's big. About 25% of the people out there will either have or know somebody um, or will know somebody that experienced harm in a medical, in a modern U.S. hospital. Uh, and it's not just the U.S. It's Canada. It's Europe as well. So and that's incredible. Twenty five percent of the people walking through the door are, are potentially going to have have harm. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is a uh, a big, big problem. Uh, and uh, and Louis, of course, as an ER physician, um, sees this every single day. Yeah. And, and just to just to be clear, nobody goes to work wanting to harm anybody. Right. But the reality is these are very complex systems uh, with people that, you know, um, because of three risk factors, the majority of them end up in, you know, healthcare facilities. And so the take home message, and that's, it's no coincidence that that was our first chapter. Uh, I think it's entitled the most dangerous place on earth. And that's to make people realize you, you really don't want to go to a healthcare facility unless you absolutely have to. So in other words, really take stock and try and be as healthy as you can. And um, okay, there are some pre-existing conditions that are hard to manage, but by and large, a lot of disease uh, can be prevented in the first place. And what we're saying is um, the reason it's difficult to prevent a lot of it is because you're wired to do things that at the end of the day, you're thinking you're doing them because it's going to make you healthy, but it actually makes you sick. Mm -hmm. And so that's the premise of the whole book is uh, don't rely on the healthcare system to make you healthy. And as a matter of fact, the healthcare system is really only responsible for maybe 15 to 20 percent of your health. The rest of your health comes from the social determinants of health. And that's something we don't talk about enough because public health and preventative medicine are the uh, poor cousins of the uh, healthcare system. It's far sexier to, you know, have a cure for a disease or to take a pill than it is to talk about prevention. So it's, yeah. it's unfortunate, but that's the way society is set up, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I for one... Uh, and doing everything that I can, as you know, as you have already mentioned, in, in with this podcast, with this platform, to promote biohacking and um, uh, medical freedom, you know, biological sovereignty, taking responsibility for your life and your lifestyle, you know, doing little things, doing little teeny things that that make a big, huge difference. You know, uh, I, I'm I'm working right now with uh, with actually a Canadian. Uh, Harvard trained physician to build a, to build a platform that will make um, health optimization more accessible using this really incredible AI platform. And because like you think about it, right? And this kind of goes back to the patch idea. I've got 290 episodes that range from red light therapy to blue blocking glasses to the benefits of breath work. And any given person coming into this universe 
um, has a thing that they want to uh, improve. They, they want to be more energetic or they want to figure out their sleep or they want to look healthier. Well, there's so much information out. I don't have 10 hours to go comb through 290 episodes of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I need it, I need it, I need it digestible. And so what I'm building now um, with, with my partner is, is a, a way to, to get to the, 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 the shortest route possible to the ideas that will help that person affect the, their life in the most effective way that's most specific to them give them access and get discount codes to tools that will help them like blue blocking glasses or, you know, I've got, I've got breath ionizers and, you know, CBD vape pens and all sorts of, you know, amazing technology that, that helps us, um, before we get sick, before we have to go to the hospital where, um, where things can go sideways sometimes. So I, I, I really, really do appreciate it. I, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me the, uh, something about Canadians, you know, you guys are, you guys are a step ahead. And I, I, I wonder why that is. I, I wonder why, I mean, do you guys have any idea why the, the trend for, you know, taking your, your personal health, um, responsibility, do you, is that, a, is it a sort of independent Canadian, um, thing? Do you have, have you, have you thought about that at all? Uh, well, Hey, Louis, you go, why don't you answer this one? Because you were the president of the Canadian Medical Association, so uh, maybe you've got an, an answer for this. Yeah, no, it's because we're fortunate to live next to the United States. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously. How what not to do? How many countries on earth can you know be neighbors with uh, such a powerhouse? And mm. uh, you know, there, there's so much innovation and there's so much great stuff that comes out of the states. I mean, you got the better part of the continent. You know, we got the frozen white north, and you guys have <laughs> Miami and. Uh, you know, Arizona and Texas, we got ripped off here. So <laughs> we have to survive because it's so freaking cold up here. Now we, 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 uh, I mean, we, we've been doing a lot of podcasts in the States and, uh, I, I mean, I lived for two years in Baltimore when I went to uh, Johns Hopkins and I'll tell you, there's, there's so much good in the States. And so you're going through a little bump right now, but I, I expect that you're going to come out even stronger. And, you know, we've been great partners. We've been feeding off each other. I mean, you've stolen our Stanley Cup for so long that uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're so envious of you guys. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything special about Canadians. I mean, we, we are blessed to be your neighbors to the north. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get hopefully we can get some people on the podcast to say, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And I think I'm going to get involved and uh, we'd love to hear from anybody and see if we can work together on this one. Well, take that a little further. Like what, what is, what is the call to action besides buying the book and and reading it and sharing with friends? Like what, what's another call to action? What's something that our listeners can do? Well, you know, I always, I've always all my life surrounded myself with uh, people that are smarter and better looking than I, that's why Rob's there. And, uh, (laughs) All we have to do is uh, just listen to a handful of them. And there's people out there that have different set of skills than we have. So maybe the next step is to do a documentary, right? Mm. So we take uh, all the, ex- I mean, look at all the experience you have with all the different people you've spoken to. And so we do a, a documentary. We take these ideas and then um, maybe uh, Michael Moore, I've always liked his work, you know, would like to do a documentary. So reach out to him and say, hey, listen, we've got some crazy ideas, but uh, we got to, figure out a patch here pretty quick before our kids keep hurting themselves and we got to give politicians a little bit of direction the one thing i found out about politicians were uh they usually like to figure out which way the parade's going and get to the front of it so let's let's start the parade and invite them to get to the front of it and you know i think biden and harris are 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 looking to do something quite spectacular so i i think there might be enough expertise in your listeners to sort of say hey yeah, these guys took the first step, but I've got a better idea on how to uh, take this and move with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really think that uh, just to echo what uh, Louis was saying, uh, you know, as we started writing this book, you know, and we started looking at all the things that were, you know, we feel that are maybe not working out as well as we thought with our current times. Um, we really started to, to think that this, this, this is the story of our time. This is, it really is this, this idea that, um, uh, that w- there's this disconnect, this evolutionary mismatch between you know what we are in terms of our, the, the our brains and bodies, and and how we are having an inability to manage the fast-paced social world around us. 
um, our social world may well be the most determining factor of our health going forward. And it's only when you are now able to take that social lens laid, you know, over top of the medical lens, uh, the biological side, and look at them together that you start to see, you know, the picture come, you know, into a bit more clarity uh, with respect to our challenges. And uh, we had the book uh, reviewed, looked at uh, by some, you know, very esteemed colleagues in the in the medical world, psychiatry, and they and yeah, some of them said this is a this is an amazing story. This is a human story for the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the new way to look at our health. And uh, so we we're, we're proud of the book that what you know in terms of what it uh, what it says. And uh, uh, I think Louis is absolutely right that um, there is an, there's enough context here content. Uh, to really, you know, make a make a documentary, you know, push the message out because I think this is this is life changing stuff in terms mm-hmm. of understanding what is going on. That the, something that we feel is happening, but we don't necessarily, you know, uh, understand it yet. And this is what it does. Mm-hmm. Just remember, the the last thing we need is more doctors, more nurses, and more hospitals. What we need to do is like Denmark has done and uh, close down hospitals, close close down long term care facilities. And uh, just allow people to start aging in place. And so if you create a culture that ages in place, it usually grows its own food. It usually has a smaller footprint. It usually has the ability of one neighbor to look after the other neighbor. And uh, medical conditions are not viewed upon as, you know, needing another pill or another surgery. They're viewed upon very differently. And there's a greater emphasis on end of life. You know, I do a lot of uh, end of life care. We've just built a $15 million palliative care freestanding facility. So end of life is near and dear to my heart. And uh, we've got to start, you know, honestly talking about um, managing people better as they're getting near the end of life. You only get to die once. So it's got to be like my mom said, a really pleasant experience. And she died with a smile on her face and Mm. talking. You know, death is not something to be afraid of, but we're afraid to talk about it. But uh, trust me, it's, it's coming sooner or later. Yeah, well, that's that's a really beautiful reminder, and you're you're right. It's not it's not in the what in the West, especially in the West. It's just not something that we talk about. We shy away from it. We deny it. You know, and and of course, I'm I'm preaching to the choir. You know, Louis, I know, I know that you're. It's like, what does this guy know about it? But um, you know, my my mom um, has has you know done her training in in end of life care. Um, and we just shy away. We shy away from the topic. We deny it. No, he's fine. No, he's fine. Prop him up. Breathe for him. You know, circulate his blood for him. Keep him. Keep him. It's like, it's just. It's so not graceful. And and it's denying um, this part of life. The 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 other part of life that we we're all going to go. And I I'm, I really appreciate. That's really refreshing to hear the sort of reference to Denmark because it's something that, that I'm that I'm aware of too. And, and the the reference to to understanding that it's going to come and it can, it doesn't have to be, does it, I mean, it doesn't have to be a medical procedure, you know, to, to pass on to the other side. No, you know, uh, I'm aiming to try and get people to die as healthy as possible. You know, like uh, you just drop dead healthy. What's the best way to die than to drop dead healthy? Yeah, I'm with you here, here. I want to live a long time. I want to burn hot. I want to make a difference. And then like in a week, I'm out. That's it. You know, like I don't want to, I don't even want to last a week. You you want a week. You want to just, and that's it. That's it. Louis's gone. Cook, cook at breakfast. There goes, and Louis, and he's done. (laughs) Well, guys, this is, this has really been um, a really cool conversation. This is, you know, a really unique conversation for, for this podcast and for the content that we um, that we, me and the mouse in my pocket put out. So I, I really appreciate you guys, um, coming on the podcast before I ask the last question, which is, um, a fill in the blank question designed specifically to catch you off guard. Fair warning. Um, please tell us where we can find the book, where we can learn more and, uh, and what, what people can do. Uh, where you can find the book, you can find it on, on virtually any major bookseller worldwide right now. Uh, so uh, pick your favorite uh, bookseller, either brick and mortar or online, and uh, you should find the book there. And it's all through North America, Europe, is, you know, Japan, everywhere. Uh, so that's where you can find the, the book. Uh, in terms of our social media links, um, uh, mine is um, at uh, drrobertbarrett.com. 
and uh, Louis is uh, drlou.ca. It's D-R-L-O-U.ca. Uh, and um, I'll let Louis finish up the uh, <laughs> your, your last uh, bit of question there. Okay. Oh, you're going to defer the fill in the blank. I, Louis, I see. Yeah, I, see. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. So this this can be based on whatever it is that you know. It doesn't have to be specific to the book or, or to the research that went into it. Um, feel free to elaborate as much or as little as you like, but please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing that caring is the secret to life. Beautiful. And it's, and it's not more complicated than that. And, and it's hard to do. And you've got to do it honestly. And, um, you know, you've got to show some real passion. And, and the most important thing is you can't fake it because people know when you're faking caring. You know, people can barely remember anything about anything these days. So if they remember just one thing about this podcast is that uh, you're hardwired to do things that are bad for you, but you can counter that by caring. Mm. Beautiful. Doctors, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks for having us. And scene.